Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for being with us for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. My name is Sue Rocco, and we have a great show for you today. My guest coming up is Christy Brown. She is the founder and CEO of iReport Source, which is a smart mobile workplace and safety platform. And later in the show, I'll be joined by Dr. Richie for our Health Watch, and she's going to be bringing us some important information about the BRCA gene uh, and how it's related to breast cancer. I want to give a quick thank you and shout out to Jefferson University Hospital and Baird Wealth Management for their sponsorship and support of Women to Watch and our mission. And be sure to visit us at womentowatch.net to see our lineup and check out the podcast if you happen to miss the live show. And you can find us at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Christy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you. You you know, you and I spoke uh, a couple of months ago, I guess, and uh, I was anxious to, to have you on the show and, and really have you share your entrepreneurial story with our listeners. It's a very interesting one. And uh, just to give them a sense of uh, your company, um, it's a digital platform and it helps other companies improve their workers' compensation and safety process. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, um, it's an archaic industry, actually, the um, employee health and safety with employers. The paper-driven, you know, Excel, PDFs, and forms with pen and paper really hasn't evolved much over the years. And um, so I decided to create a platform that would allow employers to get off that paper and use mobility to do digital data collection but then the platform allows them to manage the workflow in the background. 
So um, employee health and safety is full of compliance and regulation, mm-hmm. and it's really costly from an insurance premium perspective. You think of all the things that you know are impacted when you go into an unsafe workplace, turnover and things like that. So giving a, them a platform to ensure that what should get done, get done actually gets done um, really gives our employers some confidence and peace of mind because they now have metrics that matter in the moments that matter. Um, so our platform is designed to help bring um, employer, employees home safe at night. Mm. Um, one of the things I love about your story, your personal story, and what led you to do this work um, was um, an experience your family had when you were young and your dad was involved in a workplace accident. Can you talk about that and really kind of share with the listeners um, how that left a mark on you? Yeah, for sure. So I feel like um, this is my calling in life to bring this platform to employers. Um, not only did I own a third-party administrator and represent employers, and then, of course, I'm a business owner myself, so I fully understand the impact that, you know, um, making sure that the things that should get done get done and how that impacts the bottom line and employees. But I also have a personal story. So when I was uh, four years old, my dad worked for a large manufacturer here in Cincinnati, and um, he broke his leg. And so my parents were young, they were high school sweethearts, got married, had my brother, then myself, and you know, they were just starting out. And um, that accident was catastrophic for my family. Um, you know, in the 80s, the, the way that employees were paid, it was much different than what it is today, although it's still not great. Um, so it really set my family back financially. And um, I had to watch my parents struggle through that. So, you know, um, not only does a claim impact employees physically, you know, so my dad was on the couch for, you know, eight weeks and had to go to therapy and things like that, but also financially and emotionally that impacted our entire family so much so that we had to sell our house and move into another house and um, move school districts. So for for my entire life, you know, that was kind of how I got started. So um, it was ironic that I later owned the third-party administrator and saw the other side of it. So the, the, I wanted to offer a solution to the problem to allow employers and employees to come together and collaborate with a system of engagement that will really start to change, um, you know, from fault finding to fact finding and helping to actually prevent accidents from ever happening versus just managing them as they happen. Hmm. So um, your your program is unique. Is there is there competition out there for you? Yeah, um, there are definitely uh, definitely enterprise systems. We're focused more on the construction, manufacturing, hospitality, retail, transportation, and healthcare side of things in the small to medium sized space. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would think of us as um, QuickBooks to the accountant. We are. I report is that to the safety and HR people. Okay, and yeah, that encompasses. A lot, you know, dealing with um, both sides of an issue. And, you know, one of the things in doing my research that I loved about the way you presented and kind of your own goals is really making it a win-win for both an employer and an employee. And that can often be tricky, right, if there's been some kind of an accident. Yeah. So uh, what I have found is an employer can have great intentions to have a world-class safety culture. 
but it takes the entire company from top to bottom to make it happen. And so a lot of times when there's complacency on the actions, habits, behaviors, and follow-up, um, that's when accidents start to occur. But um, I became obsessed with understanding complacency in the workplace. You know, so it can show up in, in many different ways, but shortcuts, not you know, thinking before you act, not having well thought out processes, things like that. You know, I mean, how many times do you zone out where you, you're driving to work and you think, oh, did I put deodorant on this morning? You know, that is a situation that's ripe for a workers' comp accident to happen. And so um, there are all these programs, you know, we're in a well-documented in industry where people say if you do these things, you, you collect data, leading and lagging indicator data, and you go through the process of investigating it, you do a root cause analysis, you have some corrective preventative actions and follow-up and closure, and then you should start to be able to um, prevent accidents from happening. But the problem is it's all on paper, and so it would require, you know, again, it's complacent, right? You're busy. I don't know about you. I get 200 emails a day. So I would have to, as an employer, have the right form at the right time at the right place and then rely on that employee to scan it in or fax it, email it to someone who then might email it to five other people. And before you know it, what was Monday is now Friday and they've gotten, you know, 800 <laughs> other emails. It sounds <laughs> so archaic. It is very <laughs> archaic. So having a platform like iReport to standardize um, the data collection process, um, you know, our, um, our customer who is the safety and HR person, um, they are really in one of those jobs that's a thankless job. You, when accidents aren't happening, they're not really being appreciated or awarded for that, right? Mm -hmm. It's just an accident didn't happen, and so nobody really says anything. But when an accident does happen, you know, I mean, they are, they're go people are going, they want to know what happened, why did this happen, how did this happen? Um, and specifically, you know, I sat through a death claim with one of my employers when I owned the third-party administrator. And I have to tell you, it's, it's something I never want to sit through again. Um, so her husband died, and as a TPA, we were helping to kind of administrate, here's how you're going to get paid, and here's what's going to happen. And so when we told her the news and, and you know, said, hey, you're going to get some calls from attorneys, don't answer it, all she could do through her sobs and, you know, just put yourself in that situation, you just learned that because of your husband's um, career or position, right, he, he died and he's not coming home. Mm. And it didn't matter what we said, how much money she was going to get or how she was going to get paid. She just wanted to know how it happened. Right. And in this particular situation, it was complacency both on the employer and the employee. So if I can make it easier for employers to understand their data and their metrics and give them the confidence that they need to make decisions and change in their actions, habits, behavior, and follow-up and communication with the employees and start to prevent some of these accidents from happening, then I know that I will have achieved my mission. Mm. And, and this all comes about, Christy, from the analytics that you collect and then are able to provide um, for companies to uh, kind of, you know, get answers, I guess, right? So, so yeah. they're able to address preventative um, programs, rules, regulations, I guess. That's exactly right. So the way that a C-level person would determine the success or failure of their um, health and safety would be based on their modification rate. 
that is given to them from the insurance company. But that modification rate is based solely on what has happened, so the claims that have occurred. Okay. And so that modification rate, while it's nice, and it, it definitely dictates the insurance premiums that are paid and impacts the bottom line, um, employers know where the ship has been, but they have no idea where the ship is going. Okay. And so adding the component of the data that I'm able to give them and using that data in unique ways of comparison and, and understanding exactly where that complacency is on the actions, habits, behaviors, and follow-up, and then using artificial intelligence eventually when we get there mm-hmm. um, to help ratchet that action, habit, and behavior and, and force the behavior of follow-up and improvement, it should start to allow employers to, um, one, understand when the situation is right, and two, offer solutions to actually avoid the accident from happening altogether. Okay, excellent. You know what, we're gonna take a quick break, Christy. When we come back, I'd love for you to finish up on that. And also we wanna talk about your first startup. You're listening to Women To Watch, we'll be right back. Do you have a financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number? At the Foley Hillsley Group, that person is Kristen Hillsley. Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the Panorama Process. This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley Hillsley Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird and Company, Incorporated Member SIPC. Log on to fhbaird.com to learn more. That's f-h-b-a-i-r-d.com. So if you need a financial advisor you can trust, call Kristen Hillsley at 610-238-6636. That's 610-238-6636. Thanks for listening. You're tuned into Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined today by Christy Brown, the CEO and founder of iReport Source, a smart mobile workplace safety platform. And uh, Christy, we were talking just before the the break about how what you're doing really is helping companies, you know, be more um, proactive and use preventative measures so that these types of accidents don't occur. Um, Why don't you go ahead and finish up that last thought that you had? Yeah. um, So, so for example, what might be happening? um, Let's just take a ice delivery company. Um, they, the, the process for employers is to do newer, new hire orientation, train the employees on hazard awareness and how to drive the truck that delivers the ice. And what was happening with a particular employer is at around the 90-day mark, they were having accidents. And they couldn't figure out what the problem was. So um, using a solution like iReport, they would be able to understand not only that they're having accidents, but looking at the categorized data to understand what type of complacency was setting in. And so what's happening is they're hiring younger drivers and they train them, but right around day 90, they're having accidents. And so iReport was able to help lead them to the solution of, okay, we know complacency sets in, so we've got this metric that we can now measure And we also know that the complacency is that they start to get comfortable and start to stop thinking about hazard awareness. 
So what the employer did is they then started adding a training element at day 45, which is kind of a refresher course, and then also they do some observations to make sure that they are watching the actions, habits, and behaviors of those drivers and just giving them a reminder of how um, unsafe it can be when that complacency sets in. So they were able to stop those accidents from happening around day 90. Mm, that's fantastic. You know, your your work must be different with every client, um, which is kind of interesting and makes makes your work more exciting. Yes. And um, so what we found is that every program on with every employer at every size is like a snowflake. <laughs> so, um, you know, they don't, no one manages it exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having a customizable platform that will allow employers to, um, I call it Chipotle style. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit of this, a little bit of that. To have whatever they want, as yeah. long as it's what's on the menu. Right? right, yeah. And they can move it around and, and, you know, take away and add and subtract fields and things like that to kind of customize it for um, their needs. Okay. So, yes, definitely each program is different. Yeah. Now, listen, you launched in 2015. So for an entrepreneur, that's not a long time ago. What stage would you say you're in as a company? Um, so we we launched our app in 2015. We had over 550 downloads. And um, I don't know how familiar you are with the startup world, but um, you know, you, you're always doing A-B testing and, and learning from the feedback that you're getting. And so the feedback that I got um, from employers in 2015 was the app is great. We love the data collection and the standardization, but we really need a platform that allows us to manage that back-end piece, you know, everything that happens after we get the report. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I um, started looking at my other business and looking at this business And um, I decided that I wanted to definitely take all of my time and energy and be a part of the solution versus being part of the problem. So I sold the third-party administrator to a competitor and um, have put all of my time, money, and effort into iReport. So we just launched the portal piece in early 2018. We have raised a little over a million dollars from investors and we're getting ready to do another round of funding. And so we're uh, what you would call post-seed pre-series A. Okay. (laughs) Well, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Um, You know, you you mentioned your previous company, and this is your second startup, your first being a workers' comp uh, company, which you started, I love this, in your basement. And um, it grew in five years to 700 clients and 1.2 million in recurring revenue. So here's my question. What what qualities do you attribute to the fact that you have, number one, the courage to um, to start your own companies? Because that, you know, that's a scary endeavor. Um, and, you know, what what is it that is challenging for you as an entrepreneur, most challenging for you? I always like to say the most challenging thing is just the mental game the war that goes on inside your head, the voice that tells you, what do you think you're doing? You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. Why do you think you can do this? Um, I think 
it is a practice every day <laughs> to wake up in the morning and tell that voice to go away mm. and let the voice that says, I can do this, I am enough. Um, so for me, I would say um, that that um, at every level has never went away. And in some ways, um, the riskier, the more challenging, or the more we grow, that voice sometimes gets louder and louder. Um, so I start my day, I wake up in the morning, and I start with journaling and um, reading uh, to try to make sure that I get my mind right every single day so that I can spend the rest of the day um, knocking out the things that need to be done and not sitting in fear. Mm. Um, learning more to just embrace fear. So when I'm starting to feel uh, that fear set in, trying to go, okay, what is it that I need to know? What do I need to learn from this? And why am I feeling this way? And what can I do about it? Hmm. So for you, writing is, is kind of an outlet yes. to clear your yes. head. Yes. I, um, I really like to um, do stream of consciousness writing where I um, start to kind of talk about where I'm at, you know, always start with gratitude, all the things I'm thankful for, um, and then kind of get into, okay, here are some of my, my challenges and my struggles. And, and I usually find the more I write, the longer I write, the answers start to kind of um, come through the stream of consciousness. And so that's kind of where I come up with my game plan. All right, here's the worst thing that could go wrong, and here's how I'm going to do it, and this is, this is how we're going to do it. <laughs> so it's been really interesting over the last probably seven or eight years to go back and read those journals yes. and kind of look for the patterns of where do I keep getting stuck and where do I need to work? Yeah. You know, you might look back on, on these journals and there might be a book in there somewhere. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> do you have a mantra? Is there a mantra that you live by? And I would say that my mantra is um, with enough ignorance and confidence, you can achieve anything. And I don't mean ignorance from a, uh, you know, being stupid. I mean um, not knowing that you can't do something, right? Um, mm, right. Kind of ignorance in the way of <laughs> I can do anything and not really thinking about all the things that could go wrong, more all the things that could go right. Mm. Sometimes they call that naive. Yes. <laughs> but I think I think naive is a good thing as well. In the startup world, it definitely serves you well because, um, you know, you need to be an outside-the-box thinker. You need to make connections that you wouldn't necessarily make. And um, it, when you know too much, sometimes you can hinder that innovation, right? And so that you're right. That naivete is, is very important when you're um, doing something innovative. Right. Listen, um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about your experience at UpTech Ideas, the accelerator. I'm joined by Christy Brown, CEO and founder of iReport Source, and you're listening to Women to Watch. We'll be right back. Do you have a financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number? At the Foley Hillsley Group, that person is Kristen Hillsley. Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the Panorama Process. This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley Hillsley Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird and Company. Incorporated member SIPC. 
Log on to fhbear.com to learn more. That's fhbaird.com. So if you need a financial advisor you can trust, call Kristen Hillsley at 610-238-6636. That's 610-238-6636. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Welcome in. You're listening to another week of Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm speaking with Christy Brown today. And Christy, um, one of the things you did as an entrepreneur, which I think is um, smart, is you attended an accelerator program. And um, first of all, I wonder, do you think it's necessary for all entrepreneurs to attend an accelerator program? Uh, the name of the one you, you went to was UpTech Ideas. Yeah. Um, so... For me, the other business that I owned was a services business. And as I started the journey trying to understand how to become a tech entrepreneur, there were a lot of things that I wasn't quite sure on, sure on right? So how do you take this idea that's in your head, how you think it should work, and then make it come to fruition? You know, there's a lot of logistics um, that go on to make that happen. So I, um, as I owned the third-party administrator, I started to realize that um, I was self-funding the, the development at the time, and I started to realize, okay, to make this scale and grow, I'm going to need more money than what um, I have with the uh, TPA. So I found a person here locally, which um, is an angel, it's Queen City Angels, his name was Scott Jacobs. And um, so I, I talked to him, I said, how, how do I go about raising money? You know, do I just find someone who's wealthy, who likes my idea, and, and they just give me money? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a dream for all entrepreneurs. <laughs> right? <laughs> so he's like, no, absolutely not. That's not how it works. But we have a boot camp coming up. Come check out the boot camp. You'll learn everything you need to know. So I go to the boot camp, and um, I... I knew right away these are my people. It was um, at the boot camp, mostly um, adults who I would say in the age range of 35 and older, probably more 40 and older, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> I'm 39. Okay. <laughs> and all of these were people who um, had great careers, who were probably working in corporate America or owned a service company like me who were trying to figure out how to take their idea and make it come to fruition. So um, that's where I learned about the accelerator and I knew right away UpTech Ideas was for me. So they were looking for uh, B2B data-driven companies um, to join their program. It was a six-month program with a $50,000 investment. And what you um, were supposed to get at the end of it, what you were going to be able to be able to understand and hopefully achieve 
being an investable company, so going on for further funding and having your MVP launched and having paying customers. And, um, you know, that class, I would call it like a mini MBA. Um, it was more than I had ever hoped for. Um, I learned all of the different facets that I, I wasn't quite sure about. And I also met mentors that um, I can call probably received at least um, 40 mentors in that program, and they specialize in different business categories. So, you know, at any time, if I have a, pro a pricing problem, for example, they assigned me a subject matter expert from Procter & Gamble. And so I would meet with the subject matter expert um, whenever I wanted to, to sit down and just go through, here's what I'm thinking, here's the data I have, here's the feedback, can you look at this, what do you think? And um, so, so the network that you get plugged into by being a part of an accelerator is phenomenal. And they, they, it's really interesting. Most major cities at this point have accelerators. Here in Cincinnati, we have 12. Um, they're really starting to specialize. Um, so I know that the Uptech program here in Cincinnati Next, is, uh, they've partnered with a local hospital and they're looking for health tech. Um, I think in Columbus, they're looking for insure tech companies. They, we have one called Hillman Accelerator, which is looking for um, people of color. Um, there's female accelerators. So um, it's really interesting to see how the breakdown is, is um, starting to mature and offer an accelerator. There's one called um, the Founders Institute, which is for people who are in corporate America working full-time jobs, and they only meet at night and teach you how to launch your company. Wow. So it, it's it's phenomenal. I, I would say if you're looking to um, create a tech company, an accelerator is definitely the place that's going to, one, accelerate your learning, accelerate your growth one way or the other, and if nothing else, at the end of it, you know, if it's a three-month program or a six-month program, you're going to know whether or not it's right for you without spending, you know, millions of dollars of yeah. your own money right. um, to try to get to that point. So it's really a great program to get feedback, to learn, and then apply that. That's awesome. And and just plugging you into that kind of a network, you know, the caliber of people that you have access to um, is almost worth that investment. Yes, yes. I'm also now in a fellowship that's out of Lexington, Kentucky, called Awesome Inc. And so what's so beautiful about that is I'm being connected to mentors and companies, customers in the Lexington, Louisville area. Um, so definitely once you get plugged in um, and you're part of it, you're like a family member, right? And so they welcome you with open arms and the conversations are just warm, not you know cold calling and picking up the phone and, and hoping for the best. Um, and one of the things I'm most proud of as a result of being part of the Uptech Accelerator is the female found her circle that we've started. Mm -hmm. So um, there are six CEOs, COOs here in Cincinnati, myself included, who um, about a year and a half ago started meeting. We realized pretty quickly um, that there are a lot of men in the ecosystem and there are um, only about you know six percent of all startups tech startups are owned by women and um, we need a, a special kind of support and a special kind of um, a relationship i think you know encouragement to keep going and so the six of us started getting together twice a month in the mornings before um, everybody else is out of bed and so we get together and 
we um, discuss the situations that we might be facing, problems, business problems, um, investment problems, founder issues, um, you know, pricing issues, and it has been um, probably one of the most um, special things that I've ever been a part of. It's uh, kind of like having your own cheering section, mm-hmm. and we really have worked to um, help lift each other up, uh, make introductions, and uh, we are looking to take this, um, hopefully, hopefully nationally, um, and start chapters in every city. Uh, we're, we're looking for a specific type of person. We're looking for a heart-centered person who is a CEO or a COO who might be interested in meeting with a group of ladies similar to her who are going through those same challenges and struggles and looking for ways to navigate the path. So what we found is a lot of groups will um, kind of, I think even books are kind of written this way, like here's how to avoid problems. And our position is more, things are going to go wrong. (laughs) You are going to make mistakes. You are going to wake up and feel like a failure most days. <laughs> well, or things happen you have no control over as well. Exactly. Yeah. But here's how you're going to navigate that. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to give up and you're going to keep going. So um, through all of this, I've been privileged to sit on some panels um, at some of the local universities. And so we're, we're really trying to understand the difference between the mindset of a female entrepreneur in the mindset of a male and it really starts even back in grade school so on the way that we grade we give A's and A's mean that you did well and a C means that you didn't do well right and so what the college professors are telling us uh, that a lot of these females who are graduating top of their class will go into the STEM programs, right? It might be computer science or statistics with mathematics and things like that. And they take one hard class and they fail it. They may get an F. They give up. They go, oh, well, this must not be for me. And they stop. But her male counterpart may fail that same exact class. He'll look at his um, classmates and he'll say, oh, well, that sucked and keep going. And so we are really trying to understand how can we start instilling confidence and bravery and help females accept and understand that, as I mentioned, the failure, the mistakes, something going not the way you planned, it doesn't mean that you need to give up. It means that you just need to think about it differently. And where we grow the most are in those moments when things are difficult or challenging and that that's good and to embrace that. Yes, absolutely. Great, great message, Christy. We're going to take one last break. And um, when we come back, I want to get a little bit of advice from you um, for, for the listeners who happen to be seeking funding. We'll be right back. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215 215- 
233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. I'm talking to Christy Brown today, CEO and founder of iReport Source, a smart mobile workplace safety platform. And, you know, Christy, one of the questions I had for you in thinking about the work that you do and and just kind of who you are and and what you're passionate about, would you say that you're you're really passionate about analytics and and data and technology, or is it more about solving problems? Or perhaps it's a combination of both. (laughs) Yeah, I think I would have to answer that um, by way of saying it's both. It's using analytics solve problems. Uh, I, I always say that my brain thinks in terms of a spreadsheet, and um, I like to look at data and understand, um, again, the root, kind of the root cause, um, and I like to use that to improve. So, so yeah, I think my answer would be it's a little bit of both. It's, it's one, having the data, right, and then two, using it to improve. Right. And, you know, with the advances that, um, you know, an innovation on a daily basis, it's kind of like it's just an endless, there'll be endless opportunities um, to find new ways to solve problems. Yes. And and I'm extremely interested in, in seeing where the future takes us with artificial intelligence and machine learning when used appropriately. Um you know, the things that we can do um, and understand and learn and, and start to predict uh, will be extremely interesting to see um, how that impacts us 10 years from now. That's right. You know, recently I had a guest on the show and, and um, her field is not only artificial intelligence, but really where are we going as as a human race, right? How can we um, not lose ourselves um, in the, the robotics that are sure to come. It's a very interesting topic. Yeah, I just saw a special on, it was probably the History Channel, and it was kind of one of those things where they were, were projecting um, what it would be like with the robots in the future and um, how that might change things. And, and I, I think that there's good and bad, like you said. Mm-hmm. How do we make sure that we don't lose ourselves? You know, I think we're seeing a lot of um, maybe the ripple effect of technology on mental health in the schools yes. today, mm-hmm. you know, with the shootings and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that there's a fine line um, of what we can do with the data and, and how we can use that. But I, I definitely also, my heart says that it's time that we need to really start paying attention to technology and how our children are using the technology, how frequent, myself too. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I've had a hard day at work and I come home at night and I eat dinner and then I might sit down to watch TV and out comes my cell phone, right? And Mm -hmm. the next thing you know, it's 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes later. And I think we definitely have to start becoming intentional and making sure that we kind of think through the long-term effects of how we, we plan to use data. That's right. Yeah, I love that word intentional because I think when you're, you're an, if you have your own business, 
then you are picking up that phone really just to keep up so that you're that you're not overwhelmed and, and backlogged with with emails. Um, but to be intentional about walking away from it, reminding yourself to do that um, makes it just makes you feel better right throughout the day that it's not consuming you. Yeah, you know, um, I actually have to be intentional of, you know, hey, this weekend, I'm going to shut my phone off and I'm not going to pick it up. But you're right, as a business owner, uh, it's my job to stay ahead of the trends. It's my job to understand what all of my competitors might be doing or where the industry's headed. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, you can only get some of that information by sitting down and, and going through LinkedIn and looking at the, the articles and, and reading things like that. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely um, you have to, I think, plan ahead um, and give yourself a roadmap for this is when it's acceptable and this is when it's not. But one of the things that we really try to do in my house, at least, is to be intentional about dinner time. Put the phones down. Let's sit down and talk and hear how your day went. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I really think that, you know, families could at least uh, make that a priority that we, we might be able to start seeing a shift, I think, with the intentionality of uh, where things are headed right now. Yeah, and I think we are. I think there's a lot more conversations around this. Um, We just have a few seconds left, and I just want to give you an opportunity to leave our listeners with just one last bit of advice, particularly women who are uh, about to take that leap of faith and start something new. Yes, um, so you can do it. Uh, For me, my faith has carried me a long way, but surrounding yourself with people who are going to encourage you and build you up. Um, you may have to take some of those girlfriends that are normally the, the negative uh, gossipers and put them on the back burner if you're thinking about doing something like this mm. because you definitely need to uh, be able to jump off that cliff. It's, it's, you know, when you're staring at the cliff, you want the person who's going to tell you to jump or push you or pack your parachute, not the person who's going <laughs> to talk you down from the ledge. That's right. <laughs> Keep it positive, right? That's right. Christy, thank you so much for taking time with us. Um, I know how busy you are, and we appreciate your sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great weekend. Now we're joined by our weekly health contributor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Welcome Hello, to the Sarah. show. Thank you so much. Good to be here. We've discussed breast cancer this month. Now the BRCA gene. Only about 5 to 10% of breast cancer cases have a gene mutation which we can identify. And the one we know most about is the BRCA gene, B-R-C-A. They're the first two letters from breast and cancer, easy to remember. And it's actually, we all have the gene, but if the mutation is present, it bumps the risk for breast cancer. Now, why is this important? Because the average woman has a lifetime risk for breast cancer of about 10%. But if you have the mutation of the BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene, the risk can be as high as 70%. And the other worry is that the BRCA genes can be associated with other elevated cancer risks of the pancreas, melanoma, prostate, colon, uterus, stomach, and more. Tell me what um, would make a woman ask to be tested then. Yes, there are certain red flags that say this is a woman who should be tested. If breast cancer appears at an age younger than 50, if breast cancer is in both breasts, or if the woman has breast cancer along with ovarian cancer. In fact, there are national guidelines that direct us whom should be tested. As I mentioned, if 
if the patient or if any women in the family on either side of the family have breast cancer before the age of 50, if the patient or if one side of your family has a member with breast and ovarian in the patient or two people, one with breast, one with ovarian, if any of the patients or relatives have triple negative breast cancer, I've already mentioned the other cancers that might be noted in your family, prostate, melanoma, pancreas, stomach, um, even sarcoma. Women that have breast cancer in both sides, Ashkenazi Jewish women. Most American Jewish women are Ashkenazi descent, have six times the rate as other women in America for the BRCA gene mutation. So Ashkenazi Jewish women with breast or ovarian or pancreatic should be tested. And finally, if any men in the family have breast cancer. So once again, know your family history, know the family history on both sides of your family. If you do need testing, it's so important to see a certified genetics counselor because this testing is specified for your story. In fact, in the past, BRCA gene testing has been available for several years, but it's become much more sophisticated. If you had a BRCA test that was negative prior to 2006, there are nuances now that might make your test positive. So talk to your doctor if you have any concerns. See a certified genetics counselor because the way the tests are chosen and the results are interpreted can really make a big difference. And that's why you should call 1-800-JEFF-NOW and make an appointment to see Dr. Dan Silver, uh, who is not only an oncologist and a geneticist, but we have a very deep bench of talent for genetics information. Terrific. Always good information. Dr. Ritchie, thank you so much for being here. Christine Flowers is coming up next. Have a great week, everyone. And thanks so much for tuning into the real story behind her title here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.